Hello, everybody. This is InventRight co-founder Andrew Krause, and we are live. And I see you guys have already typed a bunch of your questions in. Um, just to give you guys a frame of reference, at InventRight, we're all about licensing your products, which means that this big company you license to, it's their money, it's their workforce, and it's their existing distribution. And they're in 30,000 stores, you're in 30,000 stores, hopefully. You know, they might just put your product in some stores, but they're going to typically try to distribute your product to wherever they're already distributing to. And they're going to use their existing workforce to do that work. So when you license to a company, it's a machine. Maybe they have 10 products, 50. Um, we just had a, a, one of our coaches license to a company that has over 8,000 products. So when your product is one of their products, it's a machine, they're plugging it in there. And that's a good thing because they know what they're doing because they have company, um, employees within that company that are doing sales and marketing and accounting and all that good stuff. And then, of course, you don't need to raise money. You don't need to go on some silly show, Shark Tank. Oh, I just need the, the money. And it's like they're going to invest their money. So you're getting the money, the workforce, and the distribution all in one place. That's what licensing is. It's a great thing. That's what InventRight's been all about for the last 21 years or so. We've had students in over 65 countries, and we guide our students to license products. But we also do a lot of free education, such as our YouTube show. We do these Q&As. We have some best-selling books. Our favorite book that uh, we sell is called One Simple Idea by my business partner, Stephen Key. We develop these techniques that he talks about in our book over the last 20 years. So um, I see some questions already coming in. So let's go ahead and get to those. Type your questions into the questions box and we will get to them. Um, lighting's a little weird in here, but no big deal. You don't care what I look like. You just care about my answers, right folks? Um, okay, so first one's from Kevin. Hi, Andrew, I was wondering if there is any hidden costs a company can subtract from an agreed royalty rate, if so, how would you minimalize those costs to get the agreed rate? Thanks. Um, so absolutely, you got to be very careful about that. And it's all about one of the things you got to be careful about is how they define net. So if they say whether well, they're removing this or that, or it's very um, nonspecific or a little bit too general, you could get your royalty rate from 8% down to literally nothing if you don't do the contract right. Now, all our students that we guide to do licensing deals, we go over those details in depth to make sure um, that they, those numbers are correct and they aren't subtracting all these random things. Before I get started, if you guys could type in yes, just to make sure everybody's hearing me. I'm sure everybody is, but you just never know. Um, also, a little disclaimer up front. Everything I share tonight is not to be considered legal device, legal advice, device, legal advice. I was working on um, setting up a Kindle um, earlier today, so I said device, but uh, not to be considered legal advice. Um, please consult an attorney if you want legal advice. Okay, everybody can hear me. Fantastic. Um, also, don't publicly disclose anything that's not already publicly disclosed. This is a public forum. Don't share any details about your invention. Of course, you can speak in generalities. Um, see, Dana's on there. Dana, uh, thank you. Oh, <laughs> Dana wrote legal disclaimer because she always knows I forget to do that up front. And I do it somewhere around the middle. Um, 
So, uh, yeah, getting back to Kevin's question, you want to be very careful how you define net. So if it's very broad and they're just removing this and this and this to get your royalties down to, to nothing or next to nothing, you got to be very careful about that. It's a very detail-oriented subject. I'm not going to go into the details here, but I'll say you have to be careful about how you define net. When you get a licensing agreement, you'll see that, and it has to be handled very um, carefully. But it's not a difficult thing, and um, sometimes they'll argue a little bit, but you know, companies will very often present a contract or terms that aren't agreeable, and if you just approach it in a friendly manner, they'll change those things and you make it, well, if we don't define this, then my royalties get down to nothing because of this and this. And they're like, uh, they, they can't argue these things. But to handle it in an abrasive manner, thinking they're trying to rip you off or scam you, which is not what they're normally doing, either them or their legal advisor, they had a standard contract. That's just what they got. And it's usually not the marketing manager trying to do that to you. Sometimes it's their legal people trying to, to beat you down and trying to get every advantage for the company. But um, don't don't be put off by that. It's very normal. And we guide our students to, to handle that. Uh, Kevin said, also, what would be the options if you get the to the negotiation stage, but for some reason you're denied a full patent on your PPA by the patent office? That is not a problem at all. Our Most of the time, our negotiation coach, Paul Sorensen, He'll try his best, you can't always get this, to make the licensing agreement not dependent on a patent. So they have to pay you regardless. People are always thinking like, what are you going to license, Andrew? And you can do licensing agreements that are not dependent on patents. And patent attorneys go, oh, you can't do that. Well, they don't know what the hell they're talking about. You can. We do it all the freaking time. And if they sign a licensing agreement and it's not dependent on a patent, they still have to pay you the royalties regardless. Now, you can't always get away with that. And so one of the tricks that I can say is that you can say that it, if they're really insistent on it, it depends on an issued patent. Well, I can guarantee every time that you can get an issued patent every single time. Now, and if it's all it says is in the licensing agreement that the patent's got to be issued, you can always include a really weak, very narrow claim. Claims are broad or narrow in patents. And it's so narrow, this isn't the something you would protect, but it's a, I'm giving you a random example. It's a pink pencil with purple polka dots, exactly 2.5 millimeters in diameter. Now, those aren't the types of things you get a claim on. But when it's so specific, the patent office will say, sure, you know, and you will be granted a patent. So it's quite often if a company is really insistent, no, no, if it doesn't issue, if it doesn't issue. So all you have to do is throw a really weak, narrow claim in there. The patent office will give it to you. They'll go, well, it doesn't really protect you, but sure, that's what you want. You can have it. And you try to get better claims as well. So I can guarantee that you would get a claim every time if you have such a narrow claim. And so when these companies are, they, they don't know what they're doing when they say that, that we, you have to get an issued patent. I can guarantee you if that is their sticking point, um, that you can say, sure, no problem. Um, now, the, the part that gets difficult is when they insist, and this is pretty rare, you have to get this claim in this way. You know, that becomes more difficult. But when they just say, you know, thinking that if your patent doesn't issue, you won't get paid. So one, 
you can make it not dependent. The licensing agreement, getting paid royalties, not dependent on a patent. That's what we always go for here at InventRight. Can't always get that. And if they insist on an issue patent, you can just include weak claims. So I'm giving you guys some incredible tips here when you get to a licensing agreement on what we do with our students. So one, you don't have to have a patent if you don't make the licensing agreement dependent on it. And two, if they insist on a patent, you can include weak claims. And now the difficult part is when they're like, oh, we're only going to pay you if you get this claim or we're going to pay you a lower royalty if you don't get this claim. I don't see that very often, but you'll have to deal with that if it comes up and you want to go back and forth. The company of very friendly nature. And if they have a maybe the marketing team's not doing it, but their legal team. No, yeah, patent has to be issued. Half the time they don't know what the hell they're doing. I'm not kidding. So maybe that company's licensed eight products that doesn't make them an expert in licensing products. But all we do all day long is license products. So I wouldn't say we're tricking them because you're giving them this great product that they can license, but we're giving them what they want, but we're making sure you get paid at the same time. And I think that's all very reasonable. Um, let's see, uh, Source Channel says, cool. Uh, so welcome back. They attend every single time, so welcome back. Um, JJ says, hello, Kevin. Oh, Andrew. My name's Andrew, not Kevin. Or maybe you're saying your name's Kevin, not sure. Just wondering if you could use current dated patent wording in your own PPA. I have no idea what that means. Um, since some of the wording is pretty much descriptive of a product of your idea. Thank you. I don't know what that means. Current dated patent wording. I don't know. If you can give me a Further explanation of what you mean by that? I don't know what that means. Jennifer says, good evening. Good, good evening, Jennifer. Um, Latifa says, hi, Andrew. It's Latifa from Toronto. Welcome, Latifa. Um, Sam says, I sent my sell sheet three months ago to a company who replied. They loved my sell sheet and asked if I had a patent, but no further response from them yet. Any advice, Andrew? So, um, sometimes companies will ask you have a patent. Well, first of all, it's not a company asking. It's never a company asking. It's always a person. You made a connection with a person, not a company, and they are asking. So a lot of times the marketing manager at these companies, they don't know how to move the conversation forward. And it's not that they're so obsessed about patents that they ask about a patent. They're just trying to move the conversation forward. So I don't know what you said to them, Sam, what you should say is yes, I have patent pending status. And um, if you have five minutes to talk on the phone, of course, it's not gonna be five, it's gonna be 10 or 15 probably. Um, I'd like to get on the phone and talk with you. I'm sure you got some questions for me and I got some questions for you and try to set up that call. That is a big mistake people make. So you probably didn't know how to move it forward, Sam. I don't know how you answered their question, but do not assume that that patent is really important to them. Sometimes they just don't know how to start the conversation they're not licensing products every day um they might be licensing you know five products a year 10 products a year whatever maybe that marketing managers knew they personally never licensed a product but the company has so a lot of times it's don't assume that what they're asking you is the most important thing to them sometimes it's just them wanting to move the conversation forward and the question they ask is clueless so when we have our students and the companies ask certain questions we're like, no, we're not answering that. We're going to move it forward with our process and we're going to try to get on the phone and talk to them. That's what I was doing in that situation. But inventors always think like, oh, this is what's 
supreme, like supremely important to them. So I've got to answer that. And it's not. So their marketing managers and companies are not experts at moving licensing deals forward. We are. And when we're guiding our students, they're experts at moving deals forward. And it's much more dependent on the inventor to move the deal forward than the person in the company that showed interest. So um, you should get on the phone and talk with them as soon as possible. If you haven't done that, make sure to move it forward with that direction. And do not assume that the patent's all important to them. Okay, so just keep keep uh, moving forward. They showed a little bit of interest. That's great, Sam. Uh, Sam also is, it says, it, he says it's uh, 1 a.m. in South Africa and he's watching. So um, that's great, Sam. You know, you're getting some, I don't know, I'm biased. I think it's good advice. Good advice. So I, I hope it was worthwhile for you to stay up till 1 a.m. I guess you're staying up from 1 a.m. to 2 a.m. So that's impressive. Good for you. Um uh, let's see. Latifa said, hi, Latifa from Toronto, Canada. I'm, let's see, I got a group Skype call here. Hold on. All right. Latifa. Let's see what we got here. Uh, from Toronto, Canada. I'm a client with InventRight Design Studio. Okay. Can you please share with me what the equivalent of a PPA in Canada I've heard it could cost up to $2,500 as $200 is only the filing fee? I, Latifa, I would, all our students around the world um, just file a U.S. provisional patent application. Again, that's not legal advice. Consult your attorney, blah, blah, blah. But um, I would just file a U.S. provisional patent application. We have some software on our site called SmartIP on inventright.com. And it's just $99. It also comes with our coaching program, which you get unlimited use for that with the coaching program. And then the patent office fee is only $75. And you can file a provisional patent yourself. I have students that don't even have a GED or a high school degree, and they're able to do it no problem. Um, so I'm sure that you can do it. Um, yes. And if you go to a patent attorney, they'll they'll charge you two grand, $3,500 to file a provisional patent. That is not necessary. So just file a U.S. provisional in a roundabout way. I don't have time to go into all the details. We'll protect you in Canada, but you're a lot more likely to license to a U.S. company. We have students licensed to Canadian companies all the time, but um, I would file a U.S. provisional patent application. And again, that's not legal advice, but that's what I would advise one of our students to do. So yeah, don't go spending $2,500 with the patent attorney. It's totally not necessary when you can file one yourself. And 80% of filing a good provisional patent application is just thinking about all the variations. Most inventors don't do this and including them in there. So don't go like, well, here's my widget. You want to go, here's my widget. What are all the other ways it could be done and throw that in your provisional? Now, don't include a version that's half as good. That's just being obsessive. And that's not really competition. But you might include a version that's 80% as good, 90% as good, just as good as yours, but not the one that you're pitching. Throw that in there, and you'll be doing a better job than 95% of inventors filing a provisional patent. Problem is, a lot of people, when they come up with an idea, they go, and you especially you've been thinking about it for a while, you go, this is what it is, this is what it is, and you don't think about what else it could be. So 
you do want to think about what it is and when you do your marketing piece to approach potential licensees put your best foot forward show them what the marketing is but when you're doing a provisional patent application you want to think about what else it could be so you can protect from any workarounds and if a company brings up well uh, what i don't i'm not i'm worried that this or this oh yeah i covered that you know and you cover that in your provisional so that's what i would advise for you to do latifa from canada uh let's see what else we got here um got another beverly is from uh, ottawa canada too so a lot of canadians cool canadians are you know it's a stereotype but i found it to be true canadians are super some of the nicest people in the world um we got a lot of australians too australians are really nice um every everybody can be nice but i've just noticed that australians are pretty cool and canadians i would say after the u.s australian canadians are our two biggest countries but we've had students in over 65 countries. So, um, you know, but the stereotype is Canadians are really cool, but I found Australians to be really cool. I've talked to a few Australians. They're like, oh, no, no, we're not all that nice. I'm like, that's not what I've found. Um, and Australians are very uh, creative, um, very, very cool, um, cool people. Uh, let's see. Armando says, hello, Andrew, are royalty rates based on the wholesale price or retail price? It can really depend. Most of the time, if a company's um, doing all their distribution and they're not selling from their own website, it's usually based on the wholesale price. And the reason for that is it's easy to track. So that's what you put in the licensing agreement. So it's the price they sell to the retailer for. So let's say they're Walmart and Target and Home Depot and Lowe's. So if you ever had to audit them, you can see the price that they sold to the retailer for. And that's the price that you get your royalty rate on because you couldn't possibly track. I mean, God, in the United States, like sales and all that stuff, it's just so prevalent. You couldn't possibly track what it's selling at retail for. But if a company is selling selling wholesale to let's say home depot and lowe's and walmart but they're also selling on their own site sometimes it'll be the same royalty rate but when they're selling direct that you'll get it on the retail so it can really depend but most of the time you're getting it on the wholesale price because it's easy to track and sometimes they'll negotiate um, a lower rate for them selling direct but i see plenty of our students they get the same rate for where the company sells retail which you're getting a higher rate because the price is higher and then getting the same rate for wholesale when they're selling to a retailer. So, but most of the time it's going to be on the wholesale price because um, it's easy to track because you can't track all the sales prices. That would be impossible. And if you ever needed to audit them, which our students, I've never known one of our students to audit, um, although the clause is always in the contract to audit a manufacturer. If you needed to, you could see it all in the books. Okay. Um, let's see. Do, do, do Augustin. Sorry if I'm not pronouncing that right. Uh, listen, Augustafson, um, 11. Hi, Andrew. I'm currently pitching in the novelty industry and have three great companies. I've been contacting Kickerland, Fred and Friends, and Suck UK. Those are all three companies that our students have licensed to. Can you suggest similar companies I may reach out to? Yeah, three is not enough. There's a lot more companies that are out there that you can license novelty products to. So you need to do your research. So when you when you do your research, you want to figure out what retailers you want to get into. And then you look, you could do your backwards research from there. Look at the manufacturers that are selling at the retailers. So you make a big list of retailers 
And then you look at the companies selling at those retailers. It's just that simple. So you need to do your research. And that can be kind of time consuming. I would say that can take two to 10 hours to do. But guy, compared to running a business, that's nothing. So invest the time. I don't care if it takes you eight hours to do that. It's worth it. People are freaking lazy about that. I'm going to be honest with you guys. People just look at the companies right in front of them that are so obvious. And if you look at other retailers and then manufacturers selling at those retailers, you know, in the novelty gift kind of area, you should have at least 20 or 30 companies, August of August of Sun. I can't pronounce that. I'm sorry. My middle name is actually August. Um, it was my grandfather's name. It's a, not not Augustus, but August. It was it's like a German name or something. Um, not something it is. But um, so yeah, you need more companies, man. Those are three probably because we talked about them. But you, you don't limit yourself to those, man. Um, Steven says, uh, this is Ruiz. Hi, Andrew. Can a company that I'm pitching my idea steal my invention if I only have a PPA? Yeah, they could. I haven't seen one of our students get knocked off by a company that they've presented to in the last 21 years. Could it happen to you? Yeah. Now, I think a big form of protection isn't just a PPA, but it's conducting yourself professionally. So if you don't have long rambling emails, if you have a good sell sheet or video, they see you're a pro and they don't think you're a wacky inventor. So for the inventors that aren't event rights students that I've talked to, because I have talked to some that claim they got ripped off. And when I investigate further, I'm like, you know, because like I've talked to people that say, well, I showed this to a company two weeks ago and then I saw it on their website. And I'm like, okay, so you're telling me that you pitched a product and you're telling me that they were there then able to create the product, launch it and put a finished product on their website in two weeks. You're talking crazy here, man. Like no company could work that quick. And now you're telling me you think they ripped off your product. They were working on something similar. So I've talked to inventors where that was the case. But am I going to say that no company has ever taken an idea for an inventor or Maybe they saw it, then a year or two later, they didn't realize that you had threw the idea out there and then they came up with something similar. Of course, that's going to happen from time to time. So a PPA, a provisional patent application, is not a patent. And patent attorneys will, will beat me up about this, and they should because it's you can't say provisional patent. So I'm always good about adding application. A provisional patent application is a placeholder in time. You need to later file a full utility and reference that provisional patent application in order to get protection. So it's like putting them on notice and it gives you a whole year to go fishing off the pier. Um, but if if you file the PPA, then you showed it to a company and then they took your idea and they didn't pay you. And then you later filed a full utility. Yeah, you could go after them. You're the first true inventor to file. Absolutely, you could. But don't worry so much about that, you know? And so what I'm also saying is the other form of protection has nothing to do with the provisional patent. It's about conducting yourself professionally. So when some companies, if they were unethical, see like this person has no idea what they're doing because they're clueless. They're asking for a quarter million up front. Their mark materials are terrible, but they're seeing through all that. And they're going, well, I like this product, but this inventor is a nut job. They're clueless. They don't know what they're doing. And if they're unethical, they could steal your idea. So what I'm saying is, Conducting yourself professionally, I think, is even better protection than any provisional patent or patent even. 
because they see you know what you're doing and don't want to mess with you. So the small percentage of companies that might consider knocking you off are going to be more likely to knock you off if you're being perceived as a wacky inventor. So conduct yourself professionally. And um, yes, if you file a provisional patent, you show them an idea and you later file a utility patent. Yeah, you could go after them that they steal that idea. Absolutely. You could. Um, P-Dub said, uh, Paul White here. Oh, that's your that's your real name, uh, P-Dub. That's cool. Uh, he's regular. So welcome. Uh, Jennifer says, should I show or have a demo call with my product to someone who has said, I'm open to licensing, but I don't sign NDAs? Um, most companies don't want to sign your NDA because just so first of all, why are you asking them to sign your NDA? If you filed your provisional patent application, you got protection from that date that you filed it. And just imagine if a company gets 100 ideas a month and every inventor has a different NDA. They need a full-time legal staff to review each NDA, which is a pain in the ass. And you might put something in there like you own their company. It's not practical for them. So if you filed your provisional patent application and you're insisting all these companies sign your NDA, you're going to be beating your head up against a brick wall. But maybe your attorney told you to do that. I'm not providing legal advice tonight, but I'm going to tell you, you're going to feel like you're beating your head up against a brick wall if you insist all these companies sign your NDA. File a provisional patent application. Show them the product, Jennifer. That's great. They're showing interest. Show it to them. Go for it. Um, yeah. Augustus Sun says, I care. Okay. I don't know what you care about. That, I, that I'm pronouncing your name right? <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, Margie said, hi, Andrew. Um, in Stephen's book, he says, an inventor's logbook is necessary. Is that still true? What if I haven't kept up with it? Um, no, nah, it's not really that relevant anymore with the, with the new uh, American Invents Act. Um, it's a good idea to keep an inventor's logbook, but really... Filing a provisional patent is better protection. It used to be back in the, the day before the American Vents Act that it, you couldn't document something in your inventor's notebook, not file a PPA, and later show proof that you document in your inventor's notebook. It's really no longer the case. Again, what I'm giving you today is not legal advice. So I would still always file a provisional patent application. If you're not doing inventor's notebook, I would not worry about that at all. I do think it's a good practice, though. And I do think it is additional documentation. It's good to keep track and keep records, but it's not nearly as relevant as it used to be at all. So I think I think we updated that in our latest book of One Simple Idea. I'm not sure if we did. Maybe you're reading the older version of One Simple Idea. So if you get our book, One Simple Idea, make sure to get the updated and expanded version. I don't know if we updated that. Maybe we didn't update that, the new version. But that is the case. Um, Jennifer said, my PPA expired approximately 15 days ago. What do I do now as I'm still pitching my product to companies? File it again, Jennifer. You know, a lot of patent attorneys will take advantage of you. They'll go, well, you're going to you lose your priority date if you don't file a full utility patent and give me $10,000. And it's and they're leaving information out. Now, they're not lying to you. So for that prior provisional, yes, you'll lose that date. But you could take that same provisional, spend another 75 bucks, and you file it today and you get a year from the date. If you haven't made public disclosure, which for the most part, if you're just privately showing it to companies for license, you haven't sold it as a swap meet, put it publicly up on a website, put it publicly in a YouTube video, you can file that same provisional again. They save people a lot of money there. But again, 
what I'm sharing is not legal advice. So seek the services of an attorney if you're looking for legal advice. But don't be fooled into thinking you've lost your rights. That's absolute BS. File that provisional again. Now, you'll get protection from your new provisional date. You won't be able to extend that date. So you'll lose that year. I have never literally in the 21 years I've been doing EventRight where somebody said, oh, that messed me up. Now it could if that one year was an issue, but it, it I've never met an inventor where it had, where it is. So if you want to go out and spend 10 grand on a patent, you, you know, before your provisional expires, you can do that. Is it worth it 99% of the time? No. Are there some isolated instances where you want to preserve that filing date, file a full utility to preserve that date from your provisional? Yes, but God, I would say 1% at most, but you have to be the one that decides that. Okay, let's see. Uh, Jack says, Jack, I think we're going at a pretty rapid pace here, guys. I'm 30 minutes in. I think I've answered a lot of questions. I, I like giving a lot of info. I like... I watch a lot of YouTube guys. I love watching YouTube. Every night I watch YouTube to learn new stuff. I'm a, I'm a information or learning junkie. So I like to bring it for you guys. Like I like other people to bring it for me when I watch YouTube. So hopefully you feel like I'm bringing a lot of great advice here. And if you really like it, Hey, get specific advice for your particular product and sign up for a coaching program. You can go to inventright.com to check that out. Shameless little plug there. Um, Jack, Jack said on a sell sheet, is it okay to put with my name an email to contact me if they are interested in looking at a one minute video and do I need an LLC? Okay. So yeah, most of the time on sell sheets, what our students do and what we do for them is when you have a sell sheet, it's a one page ad for your product, for your product, give a picture, benefit statement, a few bullet points, and you'll have a link to an unlisted YouTube video. Unlisted means completely private. Only people with the link can see it. Nobody can search and find it. So it's kind of like password protected. The password is the link itself, essentially. Um, and that is not public because it's unlisted. Some people think like, oh, I'll do an unlisted, I'll do a YouTube video, I'll make it private. No, that's messed up because if you do it private, then you have to have their YouTube username. You have to share it with them. Nobody knows their YouTube username. And so you want to make it unlisted. So you can make it a link in the sell sheet and you link to it. So you don't like tease them and go, you know, when you do, when you send the sell sheet, you make a link to the video and that's all included. So they see the sell sheet, they can see the video and that's all going to help sell them on wanting to reach back out to you. You don't make them work for it and email you. Hey, can you send me a video? Or if you like the sell sheet, do the video. I mean, hopefully the video and the sell sheet is what's helping you sell the product. Okay. So, um, do I need to do an LLC? You need to decide what's right for you. Most of our students have not done an LLC, but we always tell them when you do your first deal, you always want to do an LLC um, under your first deal. And the company doesn't care. You've just been using, um, you know, like, let's see, what was your... So let's say Jack, uh, well, your handle's Jack Clubs. So let's say your last name's Clubs. So Jack Clubs Designs at Gmail, uh, Jack Clubs Design. Uh, product developer, Jack Club. Okay. I know that's not your last name, but, and, and then you get deep into a negotiation and you're like, Hey, I want to do an LLC. They could care less. They don't care. They just want your product. So you could file an LLC then. So it's just one more thing for you to do now. So you don't have to do it now, but you could do it when you get deep into a deal. 
Um, and in some states, you know, it's like 10 bucks a year and it's easy to maintain. In California, it's ridiculous, like $800 a year. So I can understand why some of you might want to wait to file an LLC. But when, when our students do deals, we never let them do the deal without filing an LLC and doing the deal under the LLC instead of under their own name because it offers additional liability protection and it's very easy to do. So I do recommend doing an LLC, but I'm not saying you have to do it now, but that's a personal decision you need to make and don't consider that legal advice. Um, let's see, uh, Concrete is the handle. Hello, what do you think about a short run manufacturer for a retailer who is very interested in my product? Why? So instead, if you're taking the licensing approach, the retailer is very interested in the product, why don't you reach out to potential licensees, manufacturers, let them know that that retail is interested. It'll help them and intrigue them to want to do the deal that much more. And then you can, they can sell it to that retailer that's showing interest, plus a bunch of other retailers. So if you're doing licensing, why do a short run for that one retailer? Why not use that retailer's interest and tell a bunch of companies that you want to license it to that that retailer is showing interest? It's going to make it that much easier for them to say yes. That's the way I would approach it. That approach that. Uh, Mariana, I like that name. It's a cool name. Hi, Andrew. Happy Monday. When I'm making improvements on an existing product, would you recommend including existing products name on the sell sheet and maybe picture? Okay. When I'm making improvements on an existing product, would you recommend including the existing product? Oh. Um, you know, I can't really answer that, Mariana. That's something that like a coach can answer. So I don't know. I'd have to look at what product you're improving. Should you include that name or not? Without knowing the product, I really can't answer that. And really answering it generically, I don't think that one wouldn't really make any sense. I'd have to look at the product to see if it makes sense. That's where coaching really helps and in a ton of other ways too. But if I could answer it, I would, but I don't know your product, so I can't answer it. Um, Pony Horton is the handle. Uh, my manufacturing partner wants me to request an NDA before I submit my product. Sell sheet to any marketing company. I don't know what you mean by marketing company. You mean potential licensee. Even though it's patent pending, is that a fair request? So my manufacturing partner, I don't know what a manufacturing partner is. I find that odd. Um, so I don't know if you really understand how licensing works. So yeah, if you ask every potential licensee. So who is a licensee? So they're the companies that sell at the retailers where you want to be. So most of these companies are very large. So you have a manufacturing partner. Most of the time, the company you license to, they're going to want to use their own manufacturing. Now they might want to use your manufacturer if you have a manufacturer, but they want to use their own manufacturing. And why is your manufacturing company, if this is your invention, I don't know what you mean by manufacturing company, asking that you get everybody to sign an NDA. So something's not making sense there, but you're going to be beating your head up against a brick wall. I don't think they know what the hell they're talking about. I don't understand what their relationship with you is. Maybe if I had more information, um, I can answer it more thoroughly. If we have time to get to it, go ahead and type in a more detailed um, explanation of what your relationship with them is, and maybe I can answer that. Uh, Matthew said, thank you, Andrew. Happy Monday. You're welcome, Matthew. Happy Monday. Um, uh, I can answer that one, Joel. Um, 
I can't, I'm not going to answer about, you know, competitors, companies that are competitors um, with us. Uh, Sam says, I have different ideas on my inventions and some are improvements on existing products. Okay. Can I patent my improvements, Andrew? Thank you. There's no way I could say, Sam. I have different ideas on many inventions and some are improvements on existing products. So if, um, yes, it depends. I mean, it depends on what they've patented. So you, you got this product and now you made an improvement. As long as you're not violating any patents they have, you can patent improvements on that product. Or, you know, and quite often, one way of looking at it is if there's eight or 10 companies kind of selling this kind of thing, then you kind of know nobody has a solid patent on that, right? Or even four or five. And so you, but you can patent an improvement. You can definitely license it and give your licensee, the manufacturer, a leg up on all these other companies. So, um, but I can't say yes or no, because it depends on the product. It's another example. If you don't know the product, you can't answer the question. Um, Melly says, love the new background. Andrew, thank you. I couldn't fit all the products up here. Steven's saying I need to add another row down here, some more some product. These are all products our students have licensed. Some of them, they're not remotely all of them. Um, some of them are too big to put up there. But I, I do. I am going to be putting some more up. Uh, Ray said, okay. Uh, Forrest's channel said, Andrew does, how does somebody find a patent attorney? Um I would be very careful about that. And the, the question isn't how, but when. So um, even though I beat up patent attorneys a lot, are they going to tell you that, and they don't have any idea how licensing works, most of them really, and they have a very twisted view of it. But am I going to tell you at the right point in time, they're fantastic? Yeah, they are. Um, I think the right time to contact the patent attorney is when you have a deal on the table and you need to upgrade your provisional patent application to a full utility. And that's the only time it makes sense. You can file a provisional on your own. You can get interest from a company. You can get that company quite often to pay for the patent. So you just spend 75 bucks on a provisional and then you contact that patent attorney. So um, what a few random little tips I can say is if you look up a patent attorney, you can kind of, you can look, do a search on Google patents or the patent office database. And you can look at all the patents that followed and you can see their work. You can see how good a work they, they've done. And they don't look a lot of patents. You might not be able to tell, done a lot of work. You can ask them if they've done work in a particular categories. You can ask how they work. I would just ask them a ton of questions. And if they seem a little intolerant and just want to strong arm you into signing up or use fear tactics, I would say, well, screw that. I would say, no, don't like, don't like their attitude. If they're very friendly, they're willing to talk to you. They'll talk to you about what kind of patents they typically file and what areas. It's a really beneficial, like if you're doing kitchen gadgets, find a guy that's done a, or a gal that's done a lot of kitchen gadgets. If they're um, specialized in electronics and you have an electronics product, that's great. So if they're kind of in that product category, that can be beneficial. Some products are just so simple. Any patent attorney can do it. Um, but somebody that's done a lot of products in that space, I think how long they've been in business is relevant. Um, I think some attorneys, um, there's patent agents and attorneys. The only difference is a patent agent can file patents just like a patent attorney. They just can't go to court. Sometimes patent agents can be more affordable. I've seen patent agents that are, that are way more affordable and way better than an attorney that charges twice as much 
But then I've seen patent attorneys be just as affordable as patent agents too. So um, you don't need to spend a false small fortune. Um, there is a benefit of going with the firm if you've got this really big idea. Everybody thinks their idea is a really big idea. But I say 95% of the time, you don't need a firm. I would just go to with independent practitioners. So those are those are some random tips there. Um, let's see. We have 19 minutes left. Uh, let's see. Ray said, amazing info all the time, Andrew. I wish you all the best. Thank you, Ray. Appreciate it. Uh, let's see. Oh, God. I'm losing my place here. I don't want to miss out on anybody here. Okay. Okay, Michael said, I have a shirt I'm developing. It has different functional features. Should Would I need a utility patent and or design patent? Yeah, you'll probably get a, I would get a, a provisional patent application. Uh, most of the time, clothing does not have any functionality, but you said it has different functional features. So that's great. Um, clothing, the, the fashion business is brutal. All they do is knock each other off. But there's been this new category, functional clothing, and it has fun, new functionality, which most clothing does not, um, a place for your earphones to go or put your phone or all sorts of different stuff. Um, then then you, I would file a provisional patent application. I, I would say most of the design patent isn't going to do the di deal there, but it could. But most of the time, you're just going to file a provisional patent application, which provisional patent is a utility patent. It's a it's not a utility patent. It's a provisional utility patent. That's what a provisional patent is. So most of the time, you're probably going to, if it has functionality, you're going to file a provisional patent. But again, that's not legal advice. Consult your attorney for legal advice. Um, uh, JJ said, hello, Andrew. Can I use existing wording from a current patent claims embodiment, embodiment as part of my PPA since some of the wording describes a portion of my idea? Thank you. Yeah, I think you can learn a lot from looking at existing patents, but um, I don't think you have to get super technical. I think as far as your a provisional patent has no formal requirements. So as long as you're describing your invention and you have some nice pictures, um, be careful about copying and pasting other verbiage, but there is something to be learned there. So that's a possibility. Um, uh, Sforces channel on once you get a patent attorney, how to obtain patent drawings as seen on patents. So with a provisional patent application, again, there's no formal requirements for a provisional patent application. You could scribble on a piece of paper. You could use a picture that you took. You could do a crude line drawing. You could pay somebody to do some nice line drawings that kind of look like patent drawings because there's no formal um, requirements for a provisional patent application just for a full utility. But when a patent attorney files a full utility patent, there's very formal requirements and they will provide you with an illustrator and they will usually do that for you and work with an illustrator. I've talked to a few um, inventors that worked with their own illustrator, but um, I wouldn't worry about it because the approach that we're taking here at InventRate is file your provisional patent. If you get interest, try to get the company to pay for the patent. Then you've got a deal on the table. So it makes sense to now file that full utility patent and pay the patent attorney, preferably if you can, with the money that the company you licensed to gave you to do so, because it's going to protect them and you and the patent's going to stay in your name. So 
they're going to provide you with that the patent illustrations at that point. But for a provisional patent application, you can do those yourself or you can hire somebody to do them. But don't look for patent illustrators because that can be very expensive. You can just find people that can do line drawings that look professional. So when the marketing people get them, they're like, oh, this kind of looks like a patent, right? But a provisional patent doesn't have those formal requirements. But you are not going to be doing your own patent drawings. Now, I do. There's a book, How to Do Your Own Patent Drawings. And I know the patent attorney that wrote it. His name's Jack Lowe. And that's an old book with Nolo Press. And since then, from what I hear, he invented his own computer mouse. And he's like, last time I heard, he's like driving around a Lamborghini now because he made so much money. He's not a patent agent anymore with his invention. So he became an inventor. And he's not a patent agent, but I don't recommend doing that. It's just too much freaking work to learn all the details of how to do your own patent drawings. Provisional patent drawings you can do yourself, but patent drawings, don't bother. It's not worth it. It's too specific. If, if you're just a professional illustrator and you want to learn how to do that, have an additional thing you can offer at service to inventors, great. But don't try to learn how to do your own patent drawings. Provisional patent drawings, yes, because no requirements there. Patent drawings, not nah, have a professional do it. And the attorney is going to provide you with that. It's just part of the package when you go with the patent attorney. Uh, let's see. Uh, I find my place here. Uh, God, I don't know this. Dulce82. Uh, do you have to have sales of your product in order for a company to license your product? They didn't know. 95% of our students have never sold a single one. And that is a big misperception. Now we have students come on board that have been venturing selling the product themselves. And that's fantastic. But sometimes you almost have to make excuses because like you selling 500 or 3000 units isn't going to impress any big company. Because So you're like, oh, no, no, no. I was just testing because there'll be like 3000 units, huh? Like we sell typically 100,000 units a year. So you just tell them that you've just been testing the market, blah, blah, blah. It's almost like you need to make an excuse on why you sold so few. So and when you haven't sold a single one, sky's the limit in their mind. So don't feel like you need to sell product in order to license it. You absolutely do not. 95% of our students have never sold a single unit. Don't even have a prototype quite often. Just have a virtual prototype. Some of them have prototypes or something they cobble together or Frankenstein. But do not feel like you need to have sold product in order to license it. Uh, let's see. Uh, total webhead. Okay. There's a handle. Hi, Andrew. My name is Peter. Okay. That's better. Peter. I like that better than webhead. Uh, thanks for doing these Q and A's. If you find a completely different use for an existing technology product, could you patent it with a design around a complete? Yeah. Because, you know, again, I don't know your particular product, but if you have an existing product, but using it for a completely different use, it's very likely you can get a patent for that different use because it's not the same use. It's not the same protection. But you, if there's a patent on the existing product, which there may or may not be, a lot of products aren't patented. But if there is, look at what they're claiming. And you're like, oh, they're claiming it just does this and this. And you're like, but I'm going to use it for this. So I'm not violating any of their claims. So absolutely, quite often that's true. I don't know if it's true for your product. You need to do some research there. But it could definitely be true. Uh, let's see. 
So Raul says, hey, Andrew, when signing up for InventRight six-month coaching, will I be able to work on one or multiple ideas? What are your recommendations? Absolutely. Our core, at the at the end of the day, what we want people to leave, our students to leave with from us with is the ability to say, I get it, guys. I don't need you anymore. I can license the products the rest of my life. Now, most people come on board. They're really obsessed with one particular idea. But when we ask them, when one of our advisors says, well, do you have other ideas? That most of the time they say, oh, yeah, I got 100 or I got five or you know how many to top of my head, but I come up with ideas all the time. So I'm always like, okay, we're going to focus on this one product. But in the end, the side benefit, which I think is even even bigger benefit, is you get real life experience. You can license products the rest of your life. So we do not limit you to one project. At the beginning, out of the gate, we limit you to one project. But once you get those initial calls in, initial LinkedIn messages in, we say, absolutely, you can open it up. You talk to your coach. You go, hey, I want to start get another project in my pipeline. Now, you always make your older project your priority. Now you start working on another project. So we love it when students work on multiple projects, but we will not allow you to come out of the gate with three because then you're doing everything in triplicate or double if you're working on two and people get overwhelmed. We used to let people do it, but we didn't find it to be effective. We found it to be better for people to go through the whole process as fast as they can with one. You don't have to be done with the project, but you have to get those initial outreach out. And that's not a full-time gig at that point. So you can put a second project in your pipeline. So absolutely, you can work on multiple. We heavily encourage it because if you can work on two, you get that much more experience. But if you come out of the gate with two, people get overwhelmed doing everything in duplicate. But if you do it with one, you're like, oh, I'm kind of familiar with how to do everything. And then the second one goes that much better. So Absolutely. We allow people to work on multiple, but out of the gate, only one. Once you start to get those calls in, then you could start putting another one in your pipeline. You kind of talk to your coach about where you're at. Your coach might say, well, you only reached out to two companies. Can we start with the next one like two weeks from now? Let's reach out to 10 or 15 companies first, then let's do number two. You know, we don't want you to get distracted, but that's something you talk to your coach about. So absolutely. I love that question. And at the core, yes, we're helping you license products, but we're teaching you how to fish and experience, become comfortable with things. So you can say to us, I don't need you guys anymore. I'll come back if I get in over my head. And that's a bigger picture thing. People are usually just thinking about their one current project, which is understandable. But I always sell what people aren't necessarily thinking about, which is bigger picture. Let's work on other projects as well. Uh, does uh, forces channels does a PPA need legal speak? No, you could scribble on a piece of paper and the patent office would accept a provisional patent application. Um, it has no formal requirements whatsoever. Now, are there rules you should follow to do a good job with the PPA? Yes, and our smart IP software helps our students with those rules. And then the other rule is think about the variations and include them. Now, like I said before, at the top of the hour. Don't include a version that's half as good because that's not competition. That's just getting obsessive. But to include a version that's 80, 90 percent as good or just as good, but not the version you're pitching, you need to do that with a provisional patent. So most of filing a provisional is not legal speak, um, but it's it's being an inventor, thinking about the variations that you haven't thought about. And um, if people have been thinking about an idea for a long time, they become fixed in their head about what it is. So you need to get out of your head. And you need to think about the other variations, kind of knock yourself off and include them in your provisional. That is the best tip I can give for anybody filing a provisional. Okay. Um, Jennifer says, yay, Canadians. Jen from um, 
Barry, Ontario. That's cool. Never heard of Barry, Ontario. I know where Ontario is, but never heard of that city. So that's cool. Um, Thoughtful Jones says sales exec after see after my seeing sell sheet. You're probably seeing my sell sheet is probably what you meant. Thank you so much for your patience with us. We would like a demo unit. We can pay for it. How can we make this happen? Do you need to sign? Do you need to sign an NDA? I would not give it to them. I would get on the phone with them. If they don't take five minutes to talk to you on the phone, a demo units, they get broken, they get lost. Um, one great way of sending a prototype is just to do a more thorough video demo showing the product if you have one, or if you don't tell them you're working on it and send them a video. Because when you send them a video of you using the product, it works right every time. If you send them this duct tape prototype, they're going to use it, break it, all oh, this doesn't work, make assumptions about it. So, but better yet, I wouldn't even do that. I would see if they're willing to take five minutes to talk to you on the phone that makes you a real person. Anybody can drop you an email. Send me a sample. You know, it doesn't really, it does show interest, but it's not how it mo to move the deal forward. So to either get on the phone with them, get on Zoom with them, or at the very least is do a video demo of your product if you can, but do not send them a sample unless they've taken the time to talk with you. Big, big mistake. Inventors make it all the time. Don't make that mistake. Okay. Um, Thoughtful Jones says, I haven't heard back in six weeks. How would I respond? Um, well, you didn't, I don't know what you sent them. So no, you don't need them to sign an NDA if you filed a PPA. Um, so I would ask them to get on the phone. Can we get on the phone and talk for five minutes? That's what I would do. Um, Thoughtful Jones, that's what I would do. Um, email them back. Hey, just following up. Would you have five minutes to talk? What time would work for you? You know, figure out what time zone they're in and suggest a couple of times in their time zone and say, if these times don't work for you, feel free to suggest another time. I'm sure you got a few questions. I got a few questions for you too. Okay. Uh, Gospel Awakening is the handle. If I have not licensed my product within the 12, within the 12, I don't know what that means, but I shared my sell sheet with companies can I do another PPA? Oh, it's 12 months of PPA gives you, I guess. Can I do another PPA on the same product with new changes I've made? Absolutely you can, providing you haven't made a public disclosure. And if you didn't make a public disclosure, you could file a PPA with improvements and you can still be coming those improvements. So if you've just been privately showing it for license, have not publicly disclosed it, absolutely you can file another provisional patent. And don't let an attorney tell you you can't because they're trying to get 10 grand out of you for a patent. But understand um, the one-year on-bar rule, understand that sort of thing. You can you can Google that. Now I paged up and lost my... Okay, here I find my place. Um, uh, they also said, can other countries license or patent my idea in their country if I do not have protection there? So the U.S. is part of what's called the PCT, Patent Cooperation Treaty. Most major countries are under the Patent Cooperation Treaty. So if you file a U.S provisional patent, you've kind of got a placeholder in a lot of places around the world that are under the PCT. So I wouldn't worry about it. Um, most of the time, you're going to be licensing to a US or Canadian company or European company sometimes, or a companies that are real. It, it could be for Asian company, European company. They're really big in the US. They have US headquarters. They're going to value a US provisional 
patent or patent as well. So it's not something that I would worry about. Don't don't be thinking like, oh, well, they'll just knock me off and they'll file their own patent in these countries. I haven't seen that happen to one of our students in 21 years. Could it happen? Yes. Um, have I seen it happening? No. People worry. Most inventors knock themselves out of their off out of their own fear. So they don't present it to companies because they're worried about these things. You just ripped yourself off. But by you approaching companies, things can happen. If you don't approach any companies, nothing will ever happen. And you'll have ripped yourself off and you'll never make a dime with your inventions. And that's most inventors, I hate to say. But most inventors like that do reach out, they go out and spend 10 grand on a pan, then they reach out to two or three companies instead of 20 or 30 and it just goes nowhere and they're sending a terrible marketing piece and they're like oh nobody was interested i'm like yeah because you did everything wrong your marketing piece sucks you reached out to two or three companies instead of 20 or 30 and you're you're being paranoid and you're not reaching out the right way just people do everything wrong um so do it right or just don't do it at all um jennifer said thanks for your answers great advice you're welcome jennifer uh augusta Fasson said great info thank you so much andrew one day i'll pronounce your name right um uh tan tannies um grow thanks for the information do you think that you can pitch different products at the same time absolutely you can absolutely i mean that's one a part of being a pro but you got to get experience. Make sure you're doing it right. Like don't work on five products at the same time. If somebody that hasn't done licensing can confirm your sell sheets are good, the way you're reaching out on LinkedIn on the phone is right, the way you're following up is right. Got to make sure you do all that stuff right. Otherwise, you'll just be doing it all wrong. You know, but absolutely uh, part of being a pro is not working on one product at the same time. But you got to walk before you can run, you know. Uh, let's see, we've got about two minutes left. Okay, Margie said, I've chosen a name for my product that other companies have used for their products, but their products are not similar to mine. Can I still use that name on my sell sheet? Well, you can use whatever the hell you want on your sell sheet because it's not public. So nobody can like, sue you. You didn't put it up on a website. Um, you know, uh, trademarks, which is what a name for a product is more or less, um, you know, they're, they're categorized. So one could be for baby, one could be for tires, one could be for toys. And so as long as there's not confusion in the mind of consumer, that the same name for tires, car tires is confused with a baby rattle, then you can actually have the same name for a product in different categories. So I can't answer your question, but as long as it wouldn't con confuse the consumer, you could use the same name. I'm really not that concerned about it on a sell sheet, um, but don't like knock off somebody else's name if it's if they're doing a product in that specific category, that's not a good thing to do. Um, Okay, Matthew, that's not appropriate. Uh, okay, Forrest's channel, I contacted the U.S. Patent Office on the phone once for the info, and the contact person asked me what my idea was. Was this okay? 
Wow. Well, I don't think some administrator at the patent office um, is going to steal your idea. And I don't know why they would be asking you that. Maybe they just wanted a general idea. They have really good assistance there at the patent office. Maybe they just wanted to generally know, is this a baby rattle? Is it an automotive product? What is it so they could guide you? I don't know why they asked you that. Maybe in the context of the questions you were asking, they wanted to know the category. So I would never share the specifics of your invention with somebody at the patent office, but I would sh share a generality you know, if you had, a, if it was in relation to your question. So that that's interesting. They asked you, I'm kind of surprised they asked you specifically what it was. Maybe you misinterpreted it or they needed to know a gen general idea of what kind of stuff you're inventing in order to help you and answer your question. Um, um, MMRGF78 says, so making your idea public um, voids your patent protection potential. I, it doesn't, it's public disclosure and it can create issues. I would not make a public disclosure when you're looking to license of your invention. No, um, it could. So if something is publicly disclosed for more than a year and you don't get a patent on it, you've lost all rights to whatever was publicly disclosed. Yes. And, um, and also, you know, even before that, you if if you can't prove you're the first true inventor to file, somebody else could file. So no, do not publicly disclose um, your invention. No, no, no. And this whole thought, like, you get people like, well, I want to post it on Facebook, and then I want to show some company that 100 people liked it on Facebook. It means nothing. A company could care less than 100 people liked it on Facebook. They didn't buy it. So don't think that making these public disclosures, it's a much bigger risk. Do not publicly disclose your invention when you're trying to license it. Absolutely not. Privately sending it to a marketing manager if you filed a provisional patent application, perfectly okay. But yeah, MRGF78, no, don't. Yes, it can void your protection if you publicly disclose it and then you don't later get patent protection and it could compromise your ability to patent the product. Absolutely. Um, we are two minutes past. Um, you guys have had incredible questions. Um, I think I, man, I just, I did a lot of answers this hour. I think I talked very fast. Um, I know when I am listening to a YouTube live stream in particular, I want like rapid, rapid. I want to get a lot of info really quick. So hopefully I delivered there. If you guys appreciate how I've helped you help me help my business partner, Stephen, help invent right by subscribing to our channel. So down below, if you're not subscribed, click on subscribe, click on the little notification bell, watch our YouTube, like all our videos that you liked watching. If you don't like it, just don't click thumbs down, click like if from the ones you do like. And, um, and we really appreciate that. So that's how you can help me for me giving you a full hour of a free Q&A. And if you want to learn more about our coaching, because Answering these general questions is one thing, but having a coach to guide you specifically on your product, hold you accountable, and then back you up with anything a company is going to say with your coach and our negotiation coach, that's what InventRight's all about. So go to InventRight, find out more about our coaching programs. If you're just kind of curious, talk to one of our advisors, Dana or Sylvia. They're super friendly. If you're like, you know, I'm not really yet ready yet, book on our Contact Us page. Just talk to us. 
to know what we're selling. Nobody's going to hound you. We're really chill about that, but at least we can explain how we can help way more in depth. So go to our contact us page on inventright.com. Book an appointment if you want to learn more about coaching and talk to us. And you might be like, hey, I might not be signing up for a year. Perfectly fine. We will not like be calling you up going, hey, Bob, don't you want to get rich? How come you haven't signed up yet? We don't do that kind of crap. We're really chill. So feel free to book with us, talk with us about how we can help and then figure out on your own if you think it's worth it. Or just keep watching all our free stuff um, on our live stream, on our channel. Um, Stephen did a great video recently about working trade shows. I really loved it. Great job, Stephen. And you can check that out on our YouTube channel. I just watched that today. I'm like, dude, that, that video rocked. That was fantastic. So I want to remind everybody to take care, keep inventing, and we will catch up with you next time. See you guys. Bye.